Hello and welcome to Airing Pain, the programme brought to you by Pain Concern, the UK charity that provides information and support for those of us living with pain. This edition is made possible by a grant from Estellas Farmer. Pain patients have sometimes pleaded to have a limb amputated because of the pain. Sometimes it's not appropriate to do that and they find it very difficult to understand why the pain won't go. It baffles me that the medical profession, and I must say the public in general, seem to ignore the subject. There seems to be some barrier to recognising that losing a limb can lead to pain. We'll return to that later in the programme, but first to a condition that we know very little about. It's difficult to diagnose and causes extreme pain and distress. I'm Sunny Barshoff. And after a nasty accident in which I had a crush injury to my right hand, I developed a condition called complex regional pain syndrome, uh, which is otherwise known as reflex sympathetic dystrophy, or RSD, or CRPS. If you imagine toothache and the kind of, like a really bad abscess or something in your tooth, and the sort of intensity of that kind of pain, if you can imagine that in your whole arm, day and night, for the foreseeable future. That's, that's the kind of pain that you'll get with CRPS. It ranges from being incredibly hot to freezing cold to feeling as though somebody's pouring boiling water over your skin and then holding it in a draft, holding your burned hand in a draft. So it's, it's very complicated, the kind of pains that you get with it. There are layers of pain as well. You will get deep pains in your bones, in your muscles, in your tendons, and then you'll have this pain on your skin. Did you get a clear diagnosis of what it was? No, not. Uh, I think I got the first diagnosis. It was about a month after. What happened, though, was I... Um, I kept going back to the hospital and saying, my cast is too tight, you know, I'm in agony, my cast is too tight, because that's what it felt like. And my hand was very swollen. But, you know, people kept looking at it and saying, no, it's fine, you know, it's fine. And I was thinking, it can't be fine, you know, everybody else is sitting around here with casts on and they're not crying, you know, and I, I was in agony. So what did they do about it? Well, I mean, the thing that you've got to do is just keep your limb moving. I mean, really, that was the thing that they were doing. And I said to the occupational therapist, why didn't you tell me? And she said, we were doing everything we could do anyway. And some people get really frightened if they have that diagnosis. She just said, you know, it's going to hurt you, but you've got to keep on moving. You've got to keep, that's the only way you're going to overcome this. I mean, I still do it. This is, that was in 2007. I still exercise my hand every day with an exercise ball. I wake up in the middle of the night and I exercise it. I'm, I'm constantly working on it. Do you still have it? I'm not sure that it goes away because I have to tell you that I had another accident about 15 months after I had got control of the CRPS and I broke both my wrists. <laughs> I tripped over a, a small hooped fence in a park. My left hand appeared to be suffering the same sort of shooting pains in exactly the mirror spots to the other hand, you know, the CRPS. But it was an injury to my wrist, which was really strange that I should be having the same pains. And I went to see an osteopath who I'd been seeing for the CRPS. 
and he did a lot of cranial work with me that day. And by the time I got back home, the swelling had gone down, the pains had stopped, and they never returned. Do you know what causes CRPS? The experts will say they don't really know what causes it. It's as though your nerves have been scrambled. The neurological messages that are going to your brain are scrambled. The nerves are just sending off these signals and they're scrambled. And so you're getting a signal which is saying boiling hot, freezing cold, you know, all these mixed messages. Sunny Boshoff's pain started from a crush injury. But some people develop persistent pain following an operation. It's not necessarily related to the original condition or even to any failure in the surgery. Dr Bill McRae worked in the pain service at Ninewells Hospital, Dundee. In Scotland and the north of England in the 1990s we did a series of studies on the epidemiology of pain and we found to our great surprise that about 11% of patients coming to pain clinics said that surgery was one of the causes of their pain and in 11% they said it was the cause of their pain. So 22% of people were incriminating surgery as a cause of their pain. That's quite worrying, isn't it, that people have surgery to get rid of an injury or an illness and they come away with something possibly far worse. Yes, and particularly if... For example, you're a man who has an asymptomatic hernia. So you have a hernia, you've got a bulge, but it's not causing you any problems. And you go and see your GP who says, oh, we can get that fixed for you. You go and have a hernia repair operation, and you end up with chronic pain, and you didn't have pain beforehand. And, you know, that hernia wasn't life-threatening, so you didn't have to have that operation. And the latest studies from probably the world's leading centre on this in um, Denmark, would suggest somewhere between 5 and 10% of men having hernia repairs have chronic pain afterwards. So what's going on there? Well, nothing's gone wrong. I think this is something that's extremely important to flag up. The original paper in which we showed that these 22% of people had pain after surgery, what we also showed was that 18% of people coming to pain clinics had pain after injuries, all sorts of injuries. And this has been shown in subsequent studies as well. So injury often causes long-term pain. And if you look at this from an evolutionary point of view, then it makes sense if an animal is injured, say it breaks its leg. It makes sense for it to be painful afterwards because then it's going to rest and the process of healing can, can take place. So having pain after an injury is obviously a good thing because otherwise if you keep walking on your broken leg it's never going to heal it has a purpose it has a purpose but the way it works why your leg is sore the day after your injury isn't connected say to the broken bone it's because the nerves to that area have wound up they've turned up the volume and the whole area has become much much more sensitive And that state of heightened sensitivity normally lasts for a period of time related to the healing of the injury. So in some cases, not all, but in some cases, certainly after an injury or an operation, it may be that what you have is a nervous system that winds up and becomes sensitized by the injury, but then it doesn't wind down again after the healing. So you end up with a healed 
injury, if you like, broken bone or wound from your operation or whatever, but the nervous system to that area is still wound up. So the slightest thing is going to cause you pain, if you think of it like volume control. And in fact, we know that there are volume controls in the nervous system, both at the periphery, if you like, at the skin or on the surface of the bone, but also in your spinal cord, where the nerve has its first relay before going up to the brain. And there are volume controls throughout the nervous system. And if these get turned up, and then they don't turn down again, you can see how that might cause chronic pain. So how do you turn them down? Well, there are drug therapies that will help. And the drugs that we commonly use for neuropathic pain, the tricyclic antidepressants like amitriptyline, and the, um, some of the anticonvulsants like gabapentin, pregabalin, sodium valproate, these drugs can help, but it's not always possible to turn the pain down. Any sort of neuropathic pain is difficult to treat, and so chronic pain after surgery is really no different from those. These are difficult pains to treat. Some of the drugs you mentioned there, they're anti-epileptic drugs. Yes. So what has that got to do with pain? Well, if you think of epilepsy as the brain being hyperexcitable, and so it fires off and causes a fit, and what I'm saying is your spinal cord or your periphery might be overexcitable, and what these drugs do is they damp down overexcitable nerves. So what you end up with is the whole system being damped down and less likely to fire, less likely to cause pain. And the tricyclics aren't working through an antidepressant effect. Originally, they were used as antidepressants, but in far higher doses. Uh, but at much lower doses, they have an effect on some of the transmitters in the pain pathway at a spinal cord level. So they're not working because they're antidepressants. They're working because they affect nerve transmitters that are present in the pain pathway at the spinal cord. Dr. Bill McRae. One category of chronic pain after surgery is known as phantom limb pain. This can follow the amputation of a limb. Now, there are various reasons why an amputation might be necessary. Some conditions like diabetes reduce the blood flow to the extremities, and that can cause damage. And I've known lifelong smokers, my mother included, who've had toes and legs amputated for similar reasons. Another reason is to prevent a tumour invading the surrounding tissue. But the major cause for amputation is due to crush injuries. And that's particularly relevant today with more and more soldiers returning from Afghanistan with blast injuries from IEDs, improvised explosive devices. Dr Joan Hester is a consultant in pain medicine at King's College Hospital in London. She's past president of the British Pain Society and has also given talks and written articles for the Limbless Association. That's an association for amputees. Phantom limb pain is defined as a pain that follows amputation of either a leg or an arm. You could also call it phantom limb sensation, which is the sensation that the limb is still there, even though it's been removed. It's not always painful, but sometimes it can be extremely painful. Usually, if it's been painful before it was amputated, it will be more painful afterwards. And it's because the limb is represented as a map on your brain. All your body is represented as a map. And you have bigger representation for some parts of the body than others. So your thumb, for instance, will have a big area because it does so much in normal life. And your big toe will have a big area. So when the limb has been amputated, the map is still on the brain and the brain slowly reorganises it 
so that the limb gradually feels as though it's shrinking in your mind until only the big toe for the leg or the thumb for the arm feels as though it's sticking out of your stump. It's a little bit of a difficult concept, but that might take six months, it might take longer sometimes. And during that process, some people feel the pain that they had before in the limb, although the limb is not there. And that could be very strange, couldn't it, if you weren't expecting it. So we try to tell people before the amputation that this is something that might happen. And they do get other kinds of pain as well, because the stump itself, obviously when they do the operation, they have to cut through the bone, they have to cut through muscles and nerves. And a good surgeon will bury the nerve under the muscles, because the nerve tries to regrow, and the cut end of the nerve sends out little feelers, like tendrils of a plant, and they can become very sensitive, what we call a neuroma. So you can imagine if that was under the skin, especially where you were trying to wear your prosthesis, it could be extremely unpleasant and uncomfortable. And the third kind of pain is a general sensitivity of the stump, which often happens immediately after the surgery, where it just is very sensitive to touch or to hot and to cold, and that's a kind of nerve pain as well. And that can be very unpleasant and stop people from being able to wear their prosthesis. But prostheses have improved so much. They used to be very heavy, very cumbersome, lots of straps. And now they're very light, wonderful modern materials. And they have suction legs or arms so that they, they just sort of glide on and, and stay on much more easily. So I think the prosthesis technology has improved, but maybe our management of pain hasn't kept quite up with that. To try and help the pain of people who've had amputation, firstly is to prepare them for the kinds of pain that, that they might experience, because I think understanding it does really help people. And there is something that was fashionable a little while ago, which was trying to reduce the pain before surgery by giving them an epidural, this is particularly for the lower limb, in order to numb the nerves so that even before the operation the pain was lessened and continuing that through the operation and afterwards. And there have been some different results, people have studied it and in one group of patients yes it did help and in another group of patients it helped at the time but not, not afterwards. And then we can give people the drugs that help what we call neuropathic pain, nerve pain, like gabapentin or pregabalin or amitriptyline can start those really early, just immediately after the operation. We can talk to the surgeons. Many surgeons are, are very, very good because the way they do their surgery is fairly critical to the amount of pain that somebody will get. And we can obviously, after the surgery, give very strong painkillers like morphine combined with, if it's possible, an epidural to actually numb the area. And that seems to help. When I first started back in, in the 1980s, 1970s, we still got people who had been told that they couldn't have phantom pain, particularly in the military. The military doctors seemed to be in denial about phantom pain. 
and they regarded it as a sort of psychological aberration. I've been looking back through history about this, and if you go right back to the 15th century, there are a lot of articles about, or paintings and things about amputation. You can actually see in churches paintings of saints replacing amputated limbs. So clearly people had amputations in those days. And then there was a, a French surgeon called Amboise Paré in the 16th century. He was the first one to talk about phantom phenomena, but he didn't call it that. So it was talked about then, and then, uh, of course, Lord Nelson lost his arm, and he had this classic feeling that many amputees get of his fingernails digging into his palm, which we often was something that people often described to me. Yet you'd think with people like that it wouldn't be ignored. People would say, oh, yes, this is a phenomenon, and yet it was still denied. The man who coined the term phantom pain was a wonderful man called Silas Weir Mitchell, who was a doctor in the American Civil War, although I'm proud to say of Scottish origin. And he coined the phrase phantom pain and followed people through in the American Civil War. Very interesting man. He was a neurologist. And he documented the whole thing, but still it wasn't recognised. And if you look at the First World War and you see how many people were killed or injured in the First World War, there were 12 million soldiers killed. And huge numbers of people suffered amputations. And yet the subject was, again, largely brushed under the carpet. If we come to the Second World War, and they're putting an incidence of 2 to 4% of people, which we now know is far, far too low. And decent studies, again, excellent group in Denmark, showed at one time or another about 80% of people who have had an amputation will have pain. They're not having it all the time. Some of them may have only had it for a short time, and it may not have been very serious. But a figure of 2% is, is clearly completely ignoring the problem. And when you look at their papers, they're attributing it to psychological causes, or they're just not believing their patients. So it baffles me that the medical profession, and I must say the public in general, seem to ignore the subject. There seems to be some barrier to recognising that losing a limb can lead to pain. I mean, if you haven't got a leg, how can it be sore, I suppose people would ask. So you can see, if we can't recognise something as obvious as that, you know, pain after a hernia operation, people aren't going to be able to understand that. And I think the surgeons suffer from guilt because they think they might have done something wrong, which isn't the case. I mean, I don't think you need to do anything wrong. I think, as I was saying right at the beginning, some people are going to have pain after an injury. You know, it's bad luck, but it happens. But it's a very difficult concept, isn't it, that mm-hmm. if my arm were removed above the elbow, to imagine that two foot away, mm-hmm. there's two foot of airspace, mm-hmm. and I hurt at the end of that mm-hmm. nothingness. Yeah, it is difficult, but it happens. And in fact, there's a lot of really interesting research, particularly brain imaging, which has taught us a bit about it. It hasn't given us the answers we'd like, but it certainly helped us to understand it better. And it may be that part of the problem is that the brain remaps, and part of the brain still thinks you've got your hand or your arm and your hand, and other bits don't remap. And you have what the psychologists call dissonance between two bits of your brain, so that one bit's saying you do have a hand, and so your visual system very clearly saying you don't have a hand, because it can see you don't. 
And, of course, dissonance can cause very unpleasant sensations like seasickness. That's dissonance between your visual system and your balance system. I mean, that isn't the whole story. There's much more to it than that. Can that incorrect mapping of the brain be remapped? There's some interesting work from Hertha Flohr in Germany about remapping. And one of the things that she showed was that if you give somebody an artificial limb that moves, um, a functional limb, you know, they have these limbs with electric motors and things in them, and they can look at it and see what looks like a hand moving where they think their hand is. These people tend to get less remapping. It's not cut and dried, and it's, it's not as simple as that. But there is a tendency for early use of a prosthesis, and particularly an active prosthesis like that, reducing remapping and reducing pain after amputation. The psychological process is also very important, and it depends how somebody is coping with their illness beforehand or if it's a sudden accident, whether they witness that accident, whether they have memory or no memory, and how it's going to affect their lives, as you can imagine. I mean, it's extraordinary with the soldiers as an example because their motivation is to get back into active service again. But somebody who's had many years of, of dealing with poor circulation in their legs might not have walked for a very long time so that they become very depressed. Their social life has gone, they've lost jobs, they've lost friends, and they will become very depressed. An amputation may or may not help that. It depends how they get, if they can get active again. That, that's the aim, to get active again. And I think the understanding pain is, is incredibly important. Pain patients have sometimes pleaded to have a limb amputated because of the pain. Sometimes it's not appropriate to do that, and they find it very difficult to understand why the pain won't go. And so we have to explain again and again sometimes that the nerves are still there between the stump, the spinal cord and the brain. So you're not cutting out the nerve pathway that tells the brain that there's something there. And that's why the pain persists. In trying to prepare patients for this after surgery, we can't numb the brain so much. We can stop the whole area becoming so sensitive with some of the drugs. It's also critical the way that the dressings are applied and the way the stump is looked after to prevent infection in particular. We can teach people how to use TENS machines. Acupuncture has been used. Physiotherapy is very important, getting people walking as quickly as possible. And something's been used called mirror therapy. Now, this is putting a mirror on the bed, on a, on a hard surface, or a table if it would be the arm, opposite the good limb so that the brain sees the good limb as the one that has been amputated. And then the brain will work on that area and a physiotherapist can guide the person to do things with the good limb that helps the brain to translate that into good things for the, the limb that's not there anymore. It sounds a bit strange, but it's helping the, the brain to remap itself in a helpful way. But it requires a lot of patience, and in busy hospital environments, it's not often done. You would need a very helpful, friendly physiotherapist. Or, if you were taught how to do it yourself, you can do it at home. 
you can get something called a mirror box or if you've got a, a very kind person in your house they can make one for you uh, it's all quite simple and quite feasible it's just somebody teaching you what, what to do and the importance of it Dr Joan Hester, consultant in pain medicine at King's College Hospital in London. Now, as always, I'd like to remind you that whilst we believe the information and opinions on airing pain are accurate and sound based on the best judgments available, you should always consult your health professional on any matter relating to your health and well-being. He or she is the only person who knows you and your circumstances and therefore the appropriate action to take on your behalf. Now back to those mirrors and to Sunny Boshoff, who, as you'll remember, has chronic regional pain syndrome. During a course of um, occupational therapy, I was kind of looking around the room while I was having my hand tweaked, and I saw this kind of box thing with a mirror stuck on it, and I said, oh, what's that? And they said, that's a visual feedback tool. And they said, would you like to try it? And I said, yes, I would. So they made an appointment for me to see... Um, somebody who'd been trained in visual feedback. And it's fantastic what it is, really. It's a mirror. So if you imagine a vertical mirror and you put your injured hand behind the mirror and you put your uninjured hand in front of the mirror and you look into the mirror and you line it up so that when you look into the mirror you see two healthy hands. And then you try slowly to do movements with both hands And your eye sends a message to your brain that you have indeed got two healthy hands. And against all odds, it helps the pain. I can't do certain things. I can't make a fist with my injured hand still, even with all the exercises and whatever. But if I do the mirror work and I make a fist with both hands, it feels as though I am making a fist with both hands if I'm looking in the mirror. But you're not. No. But I guess with CRPS, you need to do this fairly often. Yes. How do you get around that? Okay. Uh, A friend of mine made one for me, which was sort of like a table, in a sense, or a box, like a tunnel, and a mirror on the one side, and you'd put your hand into the tunnel, and the injured hand, and you'd look at the reflection. It just became a big, cumbersome thing. I couldn't carry it around. So I designed one, which is based on, like, those clipboards that you get the sort of plastic clipboards that everybody uses and that you you know it's got a cover so you fold it around so I manufactured one using that kind of material and the mirrors on the inside and you fold it open so my right hand is injured Mm -hmm. I put my right hand behind the mirror that's right and by moving my good hand in the face of the mirror my brain is telling me that from the reflection of my good hand that my bad hand is working well yes for those of us of a certain age we'll remember harry worth the comedian harry worth where he went in front of a shop window and raised his left leg and then the mirror image looked as if he was raising both legs at the same time (laughs) And it's very similar to that, isn't it? I'm looking at my image of, of, of my good left hand. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at the reflection of that, and my brain is telling me that that is my good hand. So maybe what it's doing is unscrambling those circuits. It's very difficult when you're looking at the very injured hand and it's purple and it's swollen and it's hairy and all this sort of stuff to imagine that it's okay, but behind the mirror, when you're looking at the good hand, 
Your brain does it for you. You don't even have to think about it. Sunny Boshoff. Of course, the visual feedback mirror won't be for everyone, but it's suggested that the earlier you start using it, the more effective it could be. Sunny's also written a book about her experience of managing chronic regional pain syndrome. It's called CRPS Awareness, Moving Against Pain. And you can find out more information on it and the visual feedback mirror at her website, and that's at crps-selfhelp.com crps-selfhelp.com Now, before we end this edition of Airing Pain, let me just remind you that you can put a question to our panel of experts or make a comment about the programme on our blog, message board, Facebook, Twitter or via email and, of course, pen and paper. All the contact details you need and a link to download all previous editions of Airing Pain are at our website and that's at painconcern.org.uk That's painconcern, one word, painconcern.org.uk The last word to Sunny Boshoff. After the accident, my little finger, my ring finger and the middle finger were stuck together. I couldn't even get a towel in between them to dry myself. And they were very, very painful. It was quite hard to touch them or do anything. But I worked at it and kept on trying to get them apart, you know, wedge them slightly. And then eventually, I remember the day I went to the occupational therapist and I took some moisturiser and I said, oh, I'm going to show you something. I rubbed the moisturiser in and I was able to put my fingers through each other, both hands. And it was so exciting, you know, they celebrated with me. And I really encourage people to get involved with the people who are trying to help them because it's really a good way to do it.